We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Monday, March 19th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dane. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's program, it's Monday. And that means we'll be speaking to Iraq and Afghanistan veterans of America. Today, Tom Porter, the legislative director of IAVA, is going to be talking to us about their newest poll in which post-9-11 veterans are sounding off on a number of subjects, including VA leadership and Secretary Shulkin. Those are the two big ones, but there's a lot more to talk to Tom about, and we're going to do so this morning. Later on in the show, we are going to be speaking to a veteran who was named the recipient of the Cyber Warrior Scholarship. This is a big deal and something that can certainly help change his life. We're going to find out about his background, about the scholarship, about why he was selected for it, and so much more coming up later on today. Of course, we're also going to talk about... You know, the latest and greatest happenings around the military, those news items, those veteran news briefs that you've come to love and know from us. Well, I guess you know and love them more than love and know them, but you also love and know and know and love super producer Jake Hughes. Yep, how he basks in the glow. It actually looks like it because one of the lights that's up above the uh, console here is shining right down on your face. You look almost Christ-like right now, you know? Yeah, you don't those, offend me like that. Those old, <laughs> those old paintings where you don't, see where yeah. it looks like there's a spotlight signing yeah. shine, rather down. don't rather don't offend Christ like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, could be a little bit of each. How was your weekend, Jake? My weekend was good. I, like I said, I tweaked my back earlier, and then, you know, and this is a point where I wish I could Jake, say Jake it was, tweaked his back out. Uh, he was fighting terrorism, I believe, wasn't yes, it? Yes, this is where I wish I could say something manly like lifting hay bales or pumping iron or doing something. I it rolling out of bed Ooh. it just tweaked and Ooh. it hurts now oh but it's going to be okay because tonight i have yet another concert to go to in baltimore oh, who are you going to see tonight a band called iced earth they're one of my favorites not heard of them yeah see now i enjoy they're actually one of the bigger underground metal bands i enjoy metal quite a bit uh certain bands some of my, my favorite band i would say is tool who's kind of a prog metal type band mastodon is up there for me of course in the olden days you got your slayers metallicas and all those guys you though you know the deep cuts and all the new bands i don't even i don't know about anybody I don't yes. know about anybody that's been around less than 10 years, probably. Yeah. It's funny because you know when I was in high school and I was a kid, people were all like, don't, you don't associate with metal. You'll grow out of it eventually. Here mm. I am, 32 years old, still as deep into it as I was. You know what? Here's the thing, though. Considering your injury, which was not out fighting terrorism or winning a Super Bowl, Jake injured himself rolling out of bed. That's a sign that age is catching up with you. And as it does, eventually... You'll be like, I don't need any of this news, new music. I don't need any of this. I will hear the names of bands or singers and just, just based off of the name, go, no, I don't need to know what that is. Yeah, well, I'm, I, <laughs> I, I highly doubt that because I'm always looking for my new, my next favorite band. You could be 
One of those guys, though, who's like, you know, the 70-year-old guy who's showing up. It shows with the denim jacket with patches of every yeah. band. That when, I was, when I was in an advanced leaders course when I was in the Army, we did uh, some uh, uh, charity work at the local senior uh, enlisted retirement home. Right. And there was a guy walking around in cut-off denim shorts uh, listening to a CD player with big headphones and had a shirt on that said, always be yourself unless you can be Batman, yeah. then be Batman. Yeah. Dude was like 70 years old. I'm like, that is me in 40 years. That's me. <laughs> you know those guys who show up to concerts and they're wearing, I'm telling you, it's 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 like the uniform of the old guy who shows up to concerts, rock and metal bands particularly, denim jacket, patches of bands there's going to be like a misfits patch on there somewhere even if it doesn't fit with everything else that's on there they like that misfits skull and then there's going to be a bunch of bands that like anyone who saw them live is dead i mean they're going to be old old bands but they'll show up they'll still get out there i saw a guy like that i saw uh red fang and dillinger escape plan open up for mastodon and there was a guy there who this was at terminal five in new york city he had to be 70 75 years old and was right down there right on not in the pit but close enough to it that you you kind of worried for his safety yeah. and you were like oh geez if i, I will here. i will admit i do have a denim jacket with patches on it but i don't usually wear it to concerts because already got the uniform in yeah, preparation yeah because it has band patches on but it also has a bunch of nerdy crap on it like a, there's a doctor who patch there's, there's a, nothing uh, wrong with doctor who well no it's just like a bunch of nerds like some some star trek stuff some cartoons on there and Doctor Who is one of my favorites, man. I enjoy Doctor Who very are you excited? Are you excited for the new Doctor? The first you know, female Doctor? Here's the thing. I'd been watching ever since the reboot with Christopher Eccleston started. What was that? 13 years ago or something, something like, like that. that. I've I, I watched most of the seasons, if not right away, than when they came out on Netflix or whatever. I didn't watch, even though I liked um, The Last Doctor, Peter Capaldi, I didn't watch the last season, like, at all. And it it just it happened at a weird time for us. We were dealing with a lot of stuff, work stuff, moving stuff. I just, I missed most of it. Uh, I don't know enough about the new one. I know it's a female. That's about all that I know. And I, I don't know. I'll probably see some of it. It's just there's so much on television now, and there's so yeah. much to watch, and it's, it's difficult Difficult to catch up on it. It's also difficult to keep track of everything that's going on in the world of military news. But thankfully, ConnectingVets.com is there to get that information for you. And our top story on ConnectingVets.com right now, updated this weekend, the Pentagon has released the names of seven airmen who died when an HH-60 Pavehawk crashed in western Iraq. This happened last uh, Thursday. The names are Captain Mark Weber, 29, Colorado Springs, Colorado. He was assigned to 38th Rescue Squadron at Moody Air Force Base in Georgia. Also killed were Captain Andreas B. O'Keefe, Captain Christopher T. Zanetis, Master Sergeant Christopher J. Raguso, uh, Staff Sergeant Dashen J. Briggs. Now, here's uh, an interesting thing. 106th Rescue Wing at the Francis S. Gabreski Air National Guard Base in New York. All four of them were from the Long Island area where I lived oh, wow. uh, previously. Uh, O'Keefe was from Center Mariches, which is actually a little outside of Long Island. Long Island City, which is, I guess, technically in Queens. Christopher T. Zanetis was from there. Sergeant uh, Master Sergeant Raguso is from Comac, Long Island. And Staff Sergeant Briggs is from Port Jeff Station, Long Island. Um, and then you also have Master Sergeant William Posh of Indy Atlantic, Florida. Staff Sergeant Carl Ennis, or Ennis of Tallahassee, Florida. We were both assigned to the 308th Rescue Squadron Air Force Reserve at Patrick Air Force Base. Um, they were PJs, which is the Air Force um, 
special operations unit, pararescuemen. Uh, they jump in and do all, all sorts of high-speed stuff. Had the pleasure of serving with some uh, PJ types who are training Afghan air crews in Afghanistan, and they're really, really good at what they do. Um, and in this case, uh, you know, it's horrible when a helicopter goes down. This is something that uh, it, it happens more often, I think, than people realize. And and I wonder, I was at a couple Jeez, a couple different times. I think twice when I was in Sicily alone, there were helicopter crashes that killed people. And I wonder if it made news back then in the States. I would guess probably not because it was a time of very high tempo operations in Afghanistan and Iraq. So, you know, helicopter crashes in Sicily aren't going to be uh, number one on the news. But it's something that happens uh, to, you know, too often. Remember one of them in Sicily went down uh, and it looked like the pilot tried to land it in like a retaining pond that they had over there. And that uh, it didn't make a difference. Everybody who was in there uh, passed away. So yeah, just a, a horrible story, horrible story coming out of there. Um, the helicopter was used by the air force for combat search and rescue in transit from one location to another. So they weren't even out on a mission. They were just going from point A to point B using it as transport. And uh, you know, uh, it's our, our thoughts go out to the families yeah, and friends sad. and it, all of them. It, it, I think uh, one of the podcasts that Phil did had a spe uh, special forces guy who said that when you die in combat, that's one thing. But when it's an accident, something like that, yeah. it somehow is worse. Yeah, because, I mean, when you're uh, when you're out there doing operational stuff, I mean, there's, there's a point to it, one would hope. Uh, when you are flying, just moving from point A to point B. I was on, I don't know, hundred different flights, uh, Black Hawk flights in, in Afghanistan, and uh, and the uh, the the German version of the uh, CH fifty three as well over there, and uh, most of them were yeah transport, one going from point A to point B, and then on the Afghan helicopters, which oof, you got on those, and you started wondering if you were going to make it to your destination. <laughs> those were uh, those were always a little touchy. In fact, I found out after. The first time I went out on one of the Afghan MI-17 helicopters, I was told, like, you know, Americans aren't allowed to be on those except for the people training the Afghan flight crew, right? They're not considered safe. It's like, oh, whoops. <laughs> whoops. Well, I went out there, and then my uh, my general found out that I was there, and he was like, well, I think it's fine, so go ahead. It's like, all right, there you go. So <laughs> when a general tells you it's fine, that's uh, that's uh, something that you can uh, you can certainly take a look at. We've also got a new thing up on ConnectingVets.com. It's not ours, but it's something that we're reporting on, and that is the Vets.gov GI Bill comparison tool. So if you're looking for your dream school but need to know whether your GI Bill benefits will cover it, the Department of Veterans Affairs GI Bill comparison tool breaks down how much of your tuition is covered based on your benefits, and it depends, of course, on the school you're interested in applying to. So you can go to the website. You can go to ConnectingVets.com com to find it. It's right there on the front page. And you just put in some basic information, including military status, which GI Bill benefit you plan to use, how you want to take classes, whether it's online only, in-person only, or both, and of course, which school you're interested in. Once you've picked the college, there's a page that'll list an estimate of your benefits, uh, veteran programs available at the campus, student outcomes, so basically veteran graduate rate, and things like that. Um, this is coming directly from the VA, and of course, they are the ones who essentially pay the schools for you so right. they know how much it's going to cover and it does depend like my alma mater well i have two so i got my uh, associate's degree in journalism at norwalk community college in connecticut 
everything was paid for there just by the GI Bill straight up and, and probably and then some. I mean, it was not expensive to go there particularly. That's the benefit of many community colleges and other programs similar to them. But then when I transferred to Hofstra University, a four-year school, a private school, tuition there is like $35,000 or something like that. And the GI Bill would only cover a certain amount. Now, I did well enough at community college to get a scholarship to cover the rest of it. But even then, that scholarship was only supposed to cover through uh, like four semesters or something like that. And it took me five semesters to finish my bachelor's. So I actually had to send a letter to the school asking for an extension of that scholarship. And they gave it to me. But I didn't know all of that. I kind of had to rush around at the last minute to figure it out and you know what's going to cover what. Uh, when I went to an admitted student day, um, it actually wasn't even admitted student day. So some schools they have, you know, like the, uh, the, the, the prospective student days where you show up and you take a tour of the campus Yeah. and then, uh, at, at Hofstra's, they gave you a decision on whether you were getting in that day or not too. So I went there, I, I met with someone first and the first thing they told me was like, oh, you've already been accepted. Like, oh, that's, that's cool. I had put in my application, but I hadn't heard back on it. So I figured, well, I don't really want to wait around anymore. So if I go to this prospective student day, I can get, you know, the, the decision right on the dot. Uh, if you'd already submitted everything up to that point, and they said, yeah, your letter's on the way to you. It just, I guess, hasn't arrived yet. So, um, at that point is when I started having to figure out like, how am I going to pay for this? Cause it's a very good school, but it's a very expensive school and there are more expensive schools out there. Now, if you're like Jake and you're from the great state of Texas or the great, what are the, what are they, uh, not a, what do they call themselves besides a state where they're like, we could split off and become our own country. Oh uh, yeah. The Republic of Texas. Ah, there you go. The Republic of Texas. Uh, they, pay your full tuition at any state school if you're a veteran, essentially. Yep. So any state school. But again, that state schools doesn't apply to private schools. So if you wanted to go to, uh, like Baylor is a private school in Texas, out in uh, Waco area, I believe. Right. If you wanted to go to Baylor, I don't know how much Baylor's tuition is, but it's probably going to be more than a state school. Let's find out right now. Baylor University. So if we look at Baylor, it looks like, oh yeah, undergraduate tuition and fees, $39,610. That's going to be substantially more than if you go to, as a Texas resident, specifically the University of Texas at Austin or any of those state schools. So you will have to find a way to make up for that to some extent. How much exactly? Well, go to connectingbets.com, click on this college planning tool article by our own Caitlin Kenny, uh, army spouse and veteran spouse now, and you will find uh, the link to it. And it's basically going to tell you what you need to know if you've been accepted or if you expect to be accepted to the school, it'll let you know exactly how to go about doing, uh, you know, finding out how much money you're going to need in addition to it. Now, Jake, you haven't used the GI bill. Do you think you ever might I think I well, my plan right now is to because I got a I got a good job in the journalism field right now. You do? Really Where get, do you work? Uh, this place called ConnectingVets.com. Oh, you, you were talking wrong. about yep. here. Yeah. Man. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so I got a good thing, but I decided that it should my employment situation ever change for whatever reason. Right. That yeah, I'll probably go to the University of Houston for a couple semesters and try to go to Texas A and M. But yeah, I mean for right now, because if not to get too deep into the reads here, but if most. Uh, journalism places require a bachelor's degree. A lot of them do. A lot of them do, yeah. And, you know, you have the ability to do it. And the good thing is, with the post-9-11 GI Bill, and now the newer version, which uh, changes some things but not this, they give you money to live off of, which in many places is uh, enough 
for you to live. I mean, right. they basically give you the uh, the equivalent of E5 basic allowance for housing with dependents. So yeah. if you go to your BAH calculator that you can find through the military, through military times, whoever, you can put in uh, you know, whatever zip code you're going to be going to school in. It's based on the zip code where the school is, not where you live. And uh, it'll tell you. So, like, because I was living on Long Island and going to school at Hofstra, it's one of the most expensive places in the country. I got like thirty seven hundred dollars a month or something wow. like that. Yeah, just for just for to to live. So I could have gone to school full time uh, as a single person. I could have gone to school and paid my rent, or if I was going to uh, to the school and living there, that would have just been thirty seven hundred dollars just going into your bank every month. Of course. I was married with a child and a home and all that stuff. So at $3,700, we needed every <laughs> Tend to disappear rather quickly. single penny of it. But yeah, I mean, it was great to be able to focus on your education. And that was the issue that we've talked about with some veterans who went to school before the post 9-11 GI Bill, basically on the pre 9-11 GI Bill. Yeah, the Montgomery Bill, GI Bill. Where they essentially had, uh, if you put some extra money into it, I think at some point you could get like a couple hundred dollars a month of spending money or whatever, but the majority of them had to work as well as go to school, which makes things more difficult. I had a part-time job, worked during the summer. Uh, my first summer at Hofstra, I had a job working uh, someplace. Second one, I got hired by the school radio station to work there during the summer. So that was just to get a little bit of extra money on top of that. But during the school year, it was great to have that and be able to focus on my academics. Now, here's the thing. If you're thinking about going into school that you need to know that uh, E5 with uh, E5 BAH with dependents, that does not come in when you're not in class. So during uh, summer break, unless you try to take classes during the summer break, you don't get it. Also, to get the full amount, you need to take what's considered a full course load for yep. that school. So for for my school, for Hofstra, it was five classes. Five classes in the summertime would have been doable just barely uh, if I had been able to find the right five classes, which never would have worked out. So I didn't go to school during the summer session the way that it works during the summer session, because it's so much shorter than the semesters, essentially you're going to school instead of two days a week for a class, you're going five days a week for a class or four days a week. So it would have been just full-time, nonstop, go to school. And that's that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah. I liked my college schedule where I would have you know, one class on Monday afternoon, two classes on Tuesday, two classes on Wednesday. I mean, it was. it's not like for those... Uh, who, like me, don't know much about the college experience before I actually went and did it. It's not like when you're going to high school and you have to go to school Monday through Friday and you're there from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. or whatever. No, I would have some some semesters where I only had class three days a week. I'd have two days where I was just, mm, just hanging out at home, basically. So uh, the, the great thing about this tool coming from the VA is that it'll make your planning a little bit better. And that's the, that's the best thing that I can recommend is planning for the financial aspect to figure out exactly how you're going to cover the school because hey again if you're living in texas my home state of connecticut the state schools have something similar some states do some states don't if you're going to a state school great here's the thing when i was first got out and was living in connecticut and went to to norwalk community college i looked at the university of connecticut to transfer they didn't have anything 
that was in my the, the job field that they I didn't have to any work journalism in. classes. Uh, they did, but nothing that had anything to do with broadcasting uh-huh. journalism and uh, print journalism. I already had the associates for, and I didn't really want to do that. Uh, it turned out that Hofstra, which I, I kind of lucked into, and that my girlfriend and then fiance lived within. I don't know, 20 minutes of the Hofstra campus. So I had that going for me, but you know, look around, shop around, basically find the right school for you just because you think like if you're Jake and you grew up in Houston, maybe you're a big university of Houston fan and that's a school you want to go to. Then you find out they don't have the program that you want to work in. Like if you want to be uh, I don't know, an agricultural specialist, that may not be the school for you. It may be more like a Texas A&M place that you have to look at for that. So you really need to shop around, Jake, right? Right, absolutely. And uh, the important thing to remember is that, well, like he said, not every college offers every course, so you need to do your research. That's why this tool is so uh, uh, appealing and so useful. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that you need to look into. I mean, the GI Bill is fantastic, but you can't just go into it thinking, oh, I've got the GI Bill. That'll fix everything. No, not necessarily. There are... Uh, other aspects that you need to look into depends on what kind of school you want to go to. The GI bill may cover everything. It may not. Then you also want to know what that, uh, uh, stipend for living is going to be for you. And then look at how much you're going to have to pay for rent. Then on top of rent, you got to look at the bills. You got to look at food. You got to look at everything else. So a lot of people who do go to school in the GI bill still do work a job, but the difference is the post nine 11 GI bill makes it so that oftentimes you don't have to work a full-time job or even if you do then you're not struggling to make ends meet quite as much as you might be otherwise so there are a lot of uh a lot of big news stories going on and we're going to talk to iava about one of them because they have a poll out and it looks like approval for secretary shulkin is down Uh-oh. among younger vets so older vets uh, there were already some i mean there are some that follow me on twitter and are constantly sending me tweets and messages about how awful the VA is. And uh, you can't really hold it against them, particularly for those who have been, you know, Vietnam and Korea veterans who have been dealing with it for 50, 60, 70 years and are still not happy with the care that they're getting. You you can say like, well, they don't know what they're talking about, but they do tend to know what they're talking about. A lot of them, uh, it's kind of built into them at this point, their opinions on the VA. It's going to take a lot to change it. The younger vets, though, yeah, last year, 36% of IAVA's membership, according to their polls, supported Shulkin's nomination. That's not very high, 36%. He actually was uh, unanimous uh, uh, unanimous in the Senate and the House. They, they basically said, like, yeah, let him become VA secretary. Uh, 23% did not support Shulkin, and 41% had zero p- opinion in the matter because they don't care. Uh, uh, if nothing else, more IAVA members have an opinion on Shulkin as a year ago as only 33% are not sure of the secretary's performance on a national level. Only 14% responded positively about VA leadership, but more than half said that they did not trust the national VA leadership. So, you know, we can, we can talk about all the, the good movement at the VA and we talked to the VSOs and they all seem pretty happy with what's going on at the VA. Uh, There's a lot in the veteran community who don't. I mean, it's, it's, you can't ignore it. You can't say, well, they don't know what they're, listen, they're the people who are receiving the care. I, they know. So what, whether it has to do with the actual care, as we've talked about, or the bureaucracy, I tend to think that it focuses more on the bureaucracy when people have negative opinions, because 
when you struggle to get an appointment, it doesn't matter how good the care is when you get there. If it takes you three months to get the appointment or longer, it's it's going to be a problem for yep. you. And it's going to put a bad taste in your mouth and you're going to show up with a bad attitude. And uh, that has an effect. And that's what needs to be addressed, I think, more than anything else. We're going to talk to Tom Porter, legislative director of IAVA, about that. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot going on. There's also something going on in the Army that Jake is familiar with. There's a story in Military Times says, so long, platoon sergeants. Army begins turning AIT instructors into drill sergeants. So they used to have drill sergeants at their AIT, which is the school that uh, that soldiers go to after basic training, essentially. And uh, they got rid of it for whatever reason. They moved them to platoon sergeants who were not quite as yelly. I guess would be the way to put it. They didn't have the drill sergeant hats on. They didn't have the drill sergeant attitude, but the army has decided that they need to get back to that. So they plan to transition 600 platoon sergeants over seven, 10 day courses. So a 10 day course to become a drill sergeant. Will that work uh, perfectly? I don't know. I'd love to get Jake's opinion, but he had to run out as we have a phone call come in right now. So uh, here he comes back in. So Jake, the Army plans to transition 600 pl- platoon sergeants over 10-day courses. 10 days to become a drill sergeant. You think that's long enough? Are you kidding me? No. There's going to be seven 10-day courses. Stephanie Slater, a spokesman for the Center for Initial Military Training, told Army Times last week. 600 platoon sergeants are going to become drill sergeants. And apparently they take... I, this this isn't very uh, clear whether it's each of them has to take seven 10 day courses or if there are seven 10 day courses that the 600 platoon sergeants are going to. I busted my butt in a 10 week school <laughs> to become a drill sergeant to earn that patch. And now they're just going to give it away after a 10 day course. Army, what are you doing? I don't know. I asked that question a lot whenever I was working for the Army at AFN. Army, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't know what the Army's doing. I know what we're doing. We're having fun here on the Morning Briefing, Monday edition, March 19th, 2018. Tom Porter, Legislative Director of IAVA, coming up after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing, Monday, March 19th, 2018 edition. Wow, just knocked my earpiece out of my ear. That wasn't smart. But hey, it's a Monday, so things like that happen. You know what else happens on Monday? ConnectingVets.com's crew is working tirelessly Mondays and every other day to make sure that we get you the latest and greatest news, benefits, information, entertainment even that affects you in the veteran community so visit connectingvets.com as often as you can and be sure to follow us on social media we are at connecting bets on facebook twitter instagram and youtube a little click of your mouse or tap of your phone will change your life for the better entercoms connectingvets.com connecting vets every day speaking of vets our next guest happens to be one he also happens to be the recipient of the Cyber Warrior Scholarship. And we want to welcome him to the show, and we're going to find out all about that scholarship and all about Leo Bastidas, who joins us now. Leo, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Eric. Thanks for having me, and uh, glad to be here. 
It's absolutely a pleasure. Now, of course, uh, you, as I mentioned, are a veteran of the United States Army. So tell us a little bit about Leo. Where are you from? When did you join? And what did you do while you were in the Army? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I was born and raised in Southern California uh, to uh, parents, uh, first generation in, in the States. You know, my parents were immigrants. They came to the States in the 70s and 80s. And and I was raised, you know, I was born in UCLA and I was raised in California. And like a lot of people in, in where I'm from, in Los Angeles, in that area, I, ha- I had no direction where to go. Um, you know, I was a, a athlete, but I, I didn't take studies seriously. So I, I had nowhere to go. After high school, I had warehouse jobs. I had endless jobs, temp jobs. I didn't know what to do, where to go. And my mom finally straightened me up. So, or she said, son, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life? You're not going to college. You have these warehouse jobs that last for a week or so. Uh, you know, you're going to end up in jail or you're going to end up dead or, you know, you have nowhere to be. Right. So um, I, w- I went to go see uh, the recruiter. And a week later, I was off, uh, joined the United States Army, and I joined as an information technology uh, specialist, uh, 25 Bravo, for, uh, for the veterans out there. Right. And of course, that we all know the information uh, technologies that within the military, there are it's a growing field within the military and outside of it. So how long did you do that job in the Army and when did you leave? So I did that for about 10 years and it's definitely uh, a high demand job. Um, I'm usually the only IT specialist in any unit I was in. Um, I'm usually the only one out of a thousand soldiers in the battalion. Um, which is about a thousand soldiers and I did it for about 10 years. Um, I was actually getting out. I got out in 2016, in April, 2016. And I was actually getting out in my previous enlistment, uh, my previous contract. And then this master sergeant pulled me to the side and he said, Sergeant Bacitas, you know, I noticed, and this is in Germany. I noticed that, you know, you're always working out and you're doing, you're squared away. You're doing the right thing. You ever thought about joining special operations? I was like, no, I don't know any, I don't know anybody in special operations. I don't know anybody, I don't know anything about it. He's like, okay, go talk to my friend down in Fort Bragg. And I'm in Germany at the time, right? And I was like, okay, I'll go talk to him. You know, no big deal. So I'm on the flight to go to uh, North Carolina, Fort Bragg. And lo and behold, I'm in the assessment selection. I had no idea. And before I know it, you know, I'm freezing my butt off in the, in January in the forest of North Carolina. And uh, so the last three years of my military, I, I was actually in special operations and information operations. So that, and I got to use my communication skills uh, for the last three years. Oh, wow. Very cool. Now, think back to you said you got out about 2016. So a couple of years ago now, what do you remember most about that transition period? I mean, was it a smooth transition for you? Or did you have some struggles? Oh, it was definitely a whirlwind. Even though my family and I, uh, as a team, we decided that I was going to get out a year prior. So we're saving. We, we, we thought we did everything right. But when it was time to enter that transition assistance program, it was still, it was still a whirlwind. It was, it was, you know, there was a hundred other soldiers in the classroom. Um, I got to see the counselor maybe once or twice for about 10, 15 minutes. It was a it was a whirlwind, and at Fort Bragg, it's a big base. A lot of people get in and out all the time, and it, it it was it was crazy. And I thought I was gonna be a homeless vet. I'll be honest, I, I was scared to death. I was like, how am I gonna support my family? You know, I don't have a job lined up. Um, you know, I was scared. It was it was a rough transition, and 
and I, somehow I pulled through it. You know, I worked through it, uh, what I learned in life and what I learned in the military, you know, just put your head down and work through it. But I was, I was scared to death. I, I haven't mentioned that to anybody before, but yeah, it was, it was a whirlwind. Well, you're not alone. There are a lot of people who go through a lot of struggles when they get out, apparently including Leo Bastidas, Army veteran and who's been named a recipient of the Cyber Warrior Scholarship. Now, when you talk about that whirlwind and about being scared, of course, you made it through that period. So what are some uh, pieces of advice that you might give to some soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines out there who are getting ready to, after a lengthy, you know, 10 plus year career like yours, to make that step and transition into veteran status? What are some of the lessons that you learned during your transition that you think might be helpful for them definitely there's a lot of great organizations out there that are willing to help veterans um you know I'm, I'm, i was very involved with the american legion while i was getting out um I, uh, also looked out looked out for organizations offering scholarships like agility they're offering a veteran scholarship for cybersecurity. um i had no idea beforehand un- until the very last second about these organizations i had no idea about the vfw the uh dav the american legion i had no idea and how much they help veterans like us and and there's a free of charge i mean you can donate but they do all this outstanding work for free and i had no idea how much that you know it's other soldiers other not just soldiers other military veterans that have been through the process you know they've been through the process in the 70s 80s 90s and the 2000s and they're helping us guys, us young guys, how to get out more smoothly. And it's a lot easier now than it was in the 80s and 90s. You know, I, I definitely feel for the for the old timers because um, now we have all the records online and we have electronic records. Um, I definitely would have brushed up my resume before I got out. Um, I, I didn't tweak my resume for each job I was applying for. I just had one plain resume and that was it. I was handing that thing out like 100 times, right? And I didn't know I had to tweak it to my audience, to my job that I wanted to apply for. I must have been rejected like 200 times from all jobs I applied to. Mm. And I didn't know I had to tweak it for each job. Uh, that's something I wish I would have known. Um, what else? Oh, military jargon. You know, uh, <laughs> civilians do not understand military jargon acronyms. You know, and all the cool schools we went to in the military, they think it's cool. But they don't really see how it transitions into the civilian world. So it's your job to transition your aerosol schools, your airborne schools into the job you're applying for. Don't just say, I went to airborne school and that was a mistake I did. You know, oh, I thought I had all these cool schools and, oh, I'm a shoe in for all these jobs. No, it's not that easy. Yeah, you know, when you talk about that military jargon, here's the other thing to consider. Let's say I'm the boss and Leo Bastidas, which is who we're talking to now, Army veteran and recipient of the Cyber Warrior Scholarship. Let's say you apply for a job and I'm the boss there. I'm a veteran, but I'm a veteran of the Navy and your nonsense Army acronyms mean nothing to me. I don't know what those are. So even if they are a veteran, unless they're a veteran of the exact same service and maybe even the same MOS or rating as you, it's probably not going to translate directly to them, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, they'll give you the stare look, and they might <laughs> act like you know what you're talking about, but, yeah, they, they really don't. They just kind of nod their head and, and agree with you. But you, you really want to – but those are leadership schools. You really want to tweak your all the schools and training you went to to the job you're applying for and leadership. Um, that's a big thing, integrity, uh, accountability, responsibility. That counts a lot, and that's what it is when you go through those – types of training 
Um, I ended up in Austin actually, and I was I was in a small medium business, and about thirty five hundred uh, employees. I was maybe one of five veterans in the whole company. Right. So there's not a lot of people that know what you're talking about, what you went through. Um, and, and it really, they don't have to, right. Um, uh, we, we serve cause we wanted to, or there's a lot of different reasons, but just know that not a lot of people are going to understand what you're talking about when you right. talk to them about the military. Now we're speaking with Leo Bastidas and Leo, of course, you were an IT specialist in the army. And as you said, it's an in-demand job outside of the army. But as we were talking about earlier in the show today with the GI Bill and other things, uh, there are oftentimes degree requirements for some jobs, particularly the highest paying jobs. And of course, you've been named a recipient of the Cyber Warrior Scholarship. So tell us a little bit about that scholarship and how you came to apply for it and why you applied for it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so me and my boss were just, um, I had a good relationship. With my, uh, I have a good relationship with my boss and we're just looking through, uh, different types of training and scholarships. And my boss actually pointed out, uh, about this, uh, veteran, uh, in Julia, this veteran scholarship, um, through ISC square, uh, a security, uh, organization on a focus on cybersecurity. And, He's like, what do you think about applying for this? And I was like, hmm, oh, okay, sure. I'll apply for it. Because um, we have a set budget at our, our job. And when you go over that training budget, you know, the money's gone. You got no more, more, no more money for training. Right. Um, and so, and I have a, I have a you know, I have a, a goal, you know, five, 10 years. I want to be a, a CTO at a Fortune 500 uh, company. And, and also, like you said, there's there's certain requirements you need to be in, in a leadership management position. And one of those requirements is the CSSSP um, through ISC Square, in which uh, Angility is actually uh, offering the scholarship through. Um, and and that's kind of how it came to be. Kind of like uh, we're just looking around online. You know, we have a, a little bit of downtime. And we came across Angility and the scholarship. And I applied, I, I wrote, I wrote my resume, I wrote my, my essay and, you know, I just wrote from the heart. Um, I just wrote, you know, my life experience and my boss wrote a heartfelt, uh, recommendation. And then they called me back like two months later, you know, I completely forgot about it. Um, you know, I, I was speechless when they called me cause it, it's, a, it's a goal of mine to have the CSSP cause certain jobs have certain requirements. It's just the way it is. Um, for better or worse, it's just you need these requirements, these prereqs, in order to apply for the job. Right. And that is, you know, a big deal because this scholarship uh, covers up to $5,000 per recipient for students who are studying information security. So, I mean, what what does that mean to you? What does that $5,000 mean to you? And how much of a difference is it going to make for you as you pursue these degrees and certifications that you need? It means, it means the world to me. You know, I'm, I'm playing catch up because I, I wasn't as prepared as I wanted to when I got out of the military. I just didn't know. The military kind of kind of handholds you throughout your career. You know, you have to do your own work, but they kind of guide you through your type, uh, your requirements, your training. Um, I had no idea I need certain requirements in the outside world. And nobody's going to hold your hand, you know, and, but there's organizations like Enjoy that actually help you. Uh, they're not going to hold your hand. You got to put in the work but they're going to help you. So it means the world to me. Um, it's, it's a goal of mine and I'm not going to stop until I reach TTO, a Fortune 500 company. And, 
and Jody has helped me get there. Um, and I'm going to pay it back. Uh, you know, I'm going to pay it forward. I'm going to use that certification or when I gain that certification, I'm going to use it, you know, for, for good. I'm going to do it as my responsibility to our community, the information security community. Um, and I'm, I'm going to do the best I can do. And that's all I can try to do. Exactly. We're speaking with Leo Bastidas. Leo is a recipient of Ingility's Cyber Warrior Scholarship, one of two recipients selected this year, along with Magdalena Seitz of San Bernardino, California. Leo's down in Austin, Texas. Now, when it comes to these certifications, and we've talked to people about, you know, computer coding, a lot of the information technology world, uh, these certifications and things, it's hard to get the GI Bill or impossible to get the GI Bill to cover it. Is this something that you could even pursue with the GI Bill, or is it something totally separate? Now that I know, the GI Bill has to be uh, accredited uh, regional uh, university or accredited university. And if that program has a certification, like uh, I believe WGU, uh, Western Governor University, is actually regional accredited. And the part of their uh, degree program is certification. If your degree has a certification incorporated into the program, then the GI Bill does pay for it. Mm. I'm not too sure if it pays for a straight boot camp, straight certification, but I know if you, uh, you can do, you can kind of knock two birds with one stone if uh, your program, your degree program has certifications in it. Without this scholarship from Angility, I mean, would it be impossible for you to achieve this goal or would it just be something that would take a lot more time? I mean, what is the difference that this scholarship is going to make for you in your pursuit of your certifications? Well, Eric, I mean, nothing is impossible. Uh, and I learned that in the military. Um, you know, my brothers and sisters, there were, I saw some outstanding, crazy talent in the military from um, us ordinary people do ex- extraordinary things. It, it, it was, it was mind blowing. Uh, you know, 18 year old in Afghanistan, she was my driver and she did the best job, you know, 18 year old. It, it was crazy. So nothing's impossible. So I would eventually got there. It just would have took a lot, lot longer. Um, this, this will speed up my process. And like I said, I, I'm, I'm playing catch up. I wasn't as prepared getting out as, as some other people could be. And I hope um, everybody that's in the military uses the tuition assistance to get the certifications because it'll be that much easier instead of competing. Who knows how many people I competed with? You know, I feel very honored and lucky right. to, got, to, got to be a recipient. But who knows how many people uh, missed out? I have no idea. I don't have the numbers in front. You know, I don't have the numbers. They didn't disclose that. Yeah. But if you're in the military... Use a tuition assistant. You know, if you're in the IT field or information security field, that's part of your drop of career progression. Use that. Make it that much easier for yourself. Don't compete with thousand other veterans or uh, who knows how many other people. Yeah. So I would have got there. It just would have took a lot longer. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing when it doesn't take as long. I mean, one of the things that veterans are looking for in education, I can speak from my getting my associates and then my bachelors, having my my military credits, essentially, the credit earned for serving in the military shortened my college career by two or three years. And that was a big deal for me. And I'm sure this will be a big deal for you as you work towards that goal of being the CTO of a Fortune 500 company. Now, Leo, let's talk about the fact that you worked within this field in the military and now you've worked in 
the civilian aspect of information security, information technology. For those people who are, you know, have worked in that same field in the military, what do you think they should know about the differences between doing it for the government and for the military and then doing it in the civilian sector? Sure. So after, so I started out doing system administrator work um, and then when I, uh, when I gained rank and throughout my career progression, I got moved into information security, but I was very in the military and department of defense. I was very niche. I had a specific job and that was my job. I, I didn't see nothing after it. I didn't see the life cycle process of, of my job. I didn't see what happens before. I didn't see what happened after when you get to the private sector, um, especially if you're at a small, medium business, or even at, at a fortune 500 company, you're going to be touching all types of technology, not just your specific niche, not just, uh, incident response, not not just uh, digital forensic, uh, w- whatever your job is, you're going to be touching all types of things. They're going to expect you to know not only information security, they're going to expect you to know the operating system. They're going to expect you to know how to code. If you don't know how to program right now, uh, I will jump on that because a lot of people are hiring um, with program experience. And not even program experience, just know how to script, know how to code, know how to read know how to read it. Um, so that's very important. So they expect you to touch all types of technology, not just your specific niche. Like I was, I was in the real specific niche in the military. My job was that. And that was it. I was in the box. Right. Um, in the private sector, you're going to be touching all types of technologies. So spread your wings. (laughs) When you talk about working in that niche in the military, and I imagine that, that that's just kind of how it is for most people who work in that world. Uh, was it difficult for you in that transition where having to know more stuff or were you able to learn that during your time in the military, even though you weren't working in it? I mean, what advice would you give to someone uh, who you think, you know, is trying to prepare for moving into the civilian aspect of information security and information technology if they're stuck working in, well, not stuck, but if they are, their job is very niche, as you said, and very hyper-focused on one thing, what's the best way for them to go about preparing for a civilian career and making sure that they, they are able to learn that stuff? Definitely. Uh, one way is a certification path, uh, like uh, CSSP, um, you know, all the other information security. Um, they have a specific outline. They have a syllabus. They have something you can study. They have books out there. So they'll give you a broad view uh a broad view of the of the subjects that you kind of expect in information security, but book doesn't translate to real world. You also want to get a home lab going, uh, either in a virtual environment or by a server. So you definitely want to get a home lab and start playing around, setting up infrastructure in your home lab. But also, you want to start learning how to program. If you don't know, if you don't know how to program, you can do that on your own online. You can do there's multiple resources. I use everything from Pluralsight to IT Pro to Udemy to YouTube. I used everything at uh, at my disposal, um, so I definitely will use those resources. And in the military, you have uh, Skillsoft, I believe. Um, there, there's some e-learning uh, tools that each military branch has. So definitely go in there, and it's free for every military member. So I definitely recommend going in there and start learning the different subjects. Um, also you can, um, like I said, YouTube is real easy. Um, but yeah, and that, that's, that's, uh, that's a good starter. Uh, start looking at blogs, 
I looked at a lot of blogs, a lot of tutorials online. A lot of people post their findings, their information security findings, and I follow information uh, researchers, information professionals in the, from the civilian world. I follow them on Twitter. I follow their blogs. Um, I look at their YouTube. I go to conferences. Um, you can go to meetups at the, whatever city you're at. There's, also, there's always information security meetups. That's a good way to network, not only network, but also learn from other people and your peers. Um, so that, there's just a couple of ways you can learn. Right. A lot of good information coming out of Leo Bastidas. We've been talking to him. He is an Army veteran and one of two recipients of Angility's Cyber Warrior Scholarship for 2018. And I think along with all that good information you put out, that you would also recommend people take a look at this Angility Cyber Warrior Scholarship. If this is the job field that they're interested in, uh, would you recommend that they go check out Angility? Oh, definitely. Not not only are, are they always hiring, because, you know, I look at the board and I'm always looking to see what's out there. Not only are, are they hiring information security professionals, and as military members, we have a, a security clearance. That's a big deal uh, in the civilian sector for defense contractors. Not everybody has a clearance. What uh, The military members are about 1%, 2% of the population. That, that's pretty hard to get. So I would definitely recommend uh, looking at Angility for not only for jobs, but for the scholarship opportunities. There's scholarships out there and there's other organizations. I will look at all the organizations out there that are veteran focused because we got to use everything to our disposal. Um, you know, it, it's kind of we, we kind of get away unhinged from the real world while we're while we're in the military. Uh, I'm not saying we go backwards, but uh you know, the real world, the civilian world doesn't stop just because you're in the military. You're still moving forward. And the skills we learn in the military is in the high in demand. You know, we do accountability where our integrity is uh, uh, undisputed. You know, they know they can count on us. We have leadership uh, qualities. There's a lot of skills are there. We just got to transition them into the civilian sector. And organizations like Angelia help us move, uh, move forward in the civilian sector. So definitely check him out. Well, Leo Bastidas is certainly moving forward, and he'll be doing so with help to the tune of $5,000 from Angility's Cyber Warrior Scholarship. Leo, thank you so much for joining us this morning, and congratulations on your selection as one of Angility's two Cyber Warrior Scholarship recipients. We appreciate your time today, man. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate you. Uh, thank you for having me. You're listening to The Morning Briefing, Monday edition, March 19th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jay Hughes is your producer. We want to thank our guest today, Leo Bastidas, recipient of Angility Cyber Warrior Scholarship, and, of course, Tom Porter, Legislative Director for Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, talking about their recent polling data that shows that the majority of young veterans those who served in Iraq and Afghanistan do not approve of the job that Secretary Shulkin is doing over at the VA. little surprised by that, especially considering all the, the noise that we've been hearing and all the movement that we've been hearing on a lot of people fighting to keep Secretary Shulkin in that job, as there appears to now be some question about whether he'll stay in it or not. So very interesting stuff. And of course, another interesting show coming your way tomorrow. The Tuesday edition of The Morning Brief, and it'll feature Hill Vets and so much more. We want to thank you for joining us today. Hope you have a fantastic day. And remember, check out ConnectingVets.com. 
every day because intercom's connecting vets.com is connecting vets every day and of course follow us on social media we are at connecting vets on facebook twitter instagram youtube the big four of social media we're on all four of them with videos articles podcasts you name it we've got it and we made it for you because we love you and because we are you a whole bunch of veterans working for veterans and hey veterans have a fantastic day see you tomorrow we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 